open your Bibles with me, or better yet, probably this morning, this is one of those mornings where uh, you probably, if you normally use your phone or your Bible, you might want to just grab your insert uh, and follow along, or or you're going to be super fast flipping through pages as we read these passages. Those of you who are part of Ascension uh, know this. I've, I've told you this before, but those of you who are visiting maybe don't. Normally, uh, we preach, I preach through books of the Bible here at Ascension, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. We just make our way through the scriptures. So what I've been doing this month in the month of September has been a bit out of the ordinary. We're going to do this uh, at least next week and, and maybe one more week after that. We'll have to see how the, how the calendar falls into place. Uh, but this month I've been preaching on topics as opposed to systematically through a book of the Bible. And I've been preaching on topics that uh, are not divorced from the Bible. Uh, they're topics that are from the Scriptures. And I hope that my sermons, I pray that my sermons are bathed in the Scripture and, uh, and come directly from there. But I've been talking about what, we've been uh, talking about what are the priorities of us as a church. And this is by no means uh, an exhaustive list. It's not meant to be an exhaustive list. It's simply a list that I trust uh, that the Spirit of God has put on my heart as your pastor. It's a list that certainly has coincided uh, for the last few weeks, specifically with our life together, Uh, though this week's topic is not coinciding with anything specific uh, in our life together. And I, I can't tell you, I don't know all the reasons why I landed on joy this week, but I did. Uh, I thought more than once this week that perhaps I needed to preach this sermon to myself even more than, than, than you needed to, to hear this word from the Lord about what the scriptures think about joy. And so today, not just from these passages that I'm about to read, but really from, from all over the scriptures, we're going to be um, I'm going to be reading a lot of scripture, and uh, you can have your pens ready and write, just write some of these references down as we fly through them. Uh, but I want to talk this morning about joy. And so if you would, stand with me uh, with your insert in hand and uh, listen as I read. I've just picked four uh, key passages uh, concerning this topic of joy uh, that I want to begin with this morning uh, bef- before we uh, talk a bit more, first from Habakkuk, then Galatians, Philippians, and then finally Hebrews. Listen as I read. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet according to Shagayanoth. O Lord, I have heard the report of you, and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy 
in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Galatians 5.22 But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Philippians 4.4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Hebrews 12.1 and 2, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which, so, which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Well, it's been quite a month, quite a week in our world. The devastation And loss left by Harvey, by Irma, by the tragic earthquake in Mexico City, it was hard to sit on my couch and watch mothers weep for their children trapped. There's the anxiety of what will become of of the war of words between our president and the leader of North Korea In fact, the world was supposed to end yesterday, according to one numerologist, one doomsayer. That prediction has since been revised, as you might imagine. And then there is your world. I I don't know all that is going on with, with you personally. I do know this. I know that just this week, I was in the ER with one of you, praying. I know that just this week I was with another of you longing for the new heavens and the new earth as we lamented failing health. I know full well that some of you this morning are here and are presently dealing with physical, emotional pain or loss relational fractures, financial stress. I don't minimize any of that. I fully recognize that this morning. And I pray that that my words handle your hearts well. A lot could be said about what we see in our world. A lot could be said about the mess that we have personally My point is simply that we live in a broken world that doesn't often lend itself to joy. And that's exactly the point. When there is nothing in our circumstances that warrants joy, where the world expects, where the world finds joy, Well, that causes curiosity. 
that actually shines before a watching world. A.W. Tozer, uh, a Christian writer that many of you have heard his name before, he wrote once, the people of God ought to be the happiest people in all the world. People should be coming to us constantly and asking the source of our joy and delight. My simple aim this morning is to remind us and challenge us with the fact that we are to be a people marked by joy. But you may be thinking, what, what exactly is joy? I mean, what, what are you talking about when you say that word? Well, first of all, it is not, I'm not talking about Bobby McFerrin's don't worry, be happy. That kind of just carefree, Jimmy Buffett kind of attitude in Margaritaville, that's not the kind of joy that I'm speaking of. Joy in the Bible is a rich word used hundreds of times. Added to that is the challenge that there are over 20 Hebrew words that translate into the English word joy and its related words. In other words, we can't possibly exhaust this subject of what is biblical joy, but I want to get our feet wet. I want to think for a few minutes and begin to meditate on joy. And so let me give you two working definitions. I know words hit people in different ways depending upon the word. These definitions, I couldn't decide between either of them, and so I'm going to give you both of them and pray that one definition resounds with you, maybe both. These are both from pastors. First definition, joy is an affection, a deep and durable delight that is the fruit of a mind immersed in the truth of who God is and all that he has savingly secured for us in his son. I'll read it one more time. Joy is an affection a deep and durable delight that is the fruit of a mind immersed in the truth of who God is and all that he has savingly secured for us in his son. Here's another definition, a little shorter. Joy is the buoyancy, that's a great word. Joy is the buoyancy that results from the enjoyment of the unchanging privilege that we have in God. Joy is the buoyancy that results from the enjoyment of the unchanging privilege that we have in God. With those definitions in the, in the back of your mind, I want for a few minutes to unpack, to understand, and to begin to fight for joy. Two truths today, two points, and the first one is simply this. Joy is grounded in the Lord. Joy is grounded in the Lord, in who he is and in what he has done. Maybe this goes without saying, but true joy in this life 
cannot be found apart from our God. Because as God, He is the perfect union of everything good. That's who God is. And so we must begin here and we must eventually end here. Joy is grounded in the Lord. If I were to ask you, how do you view God? What, what words come to mind immediately when you think about describing God? What pictures in your mind come into your mind's eye when you think about who, God's is, who God is? I hope loving comes to mind as a descriptor of God. Maybe, maybe powerful comes to mind as a descriptor of God. Maybe some of you would use one of these words, uh, dignified, reserved, noble. And and therefore, the picture that your mind's eye creates is, is one of a heavenly grandfather, kind of, with lots on his mind, frankly, too much to do, And always with a very serious countenance. I'm not saying there isn't a time for God to be serious. Indeed, there is. But would the word happy come to mind when you think about describing God? God is happy, God is full of joy infinitely and perfectly so. And there's no way that he can't be. Infinite holiness, infinite goodness, infinite power, infinite wisdom, infinite knowledge equals infinite joy. And not only that, but his joy has been a shared joy for all of eternity within the fellowship of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it's because of that fact, we've talked about this before, that is the fountain overflowing that we drink from. And so in Psalm 16 Verse 11, David writes, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, he's speaking to the Lord, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 43, verse 4, then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. There is nothing more beautiful, nothing more delightful, nothing more enjoyable, nothing more satisfying than knowing the triune God who we gather to worship here this morning. Joy is grounded in the Lord. And so we must begin by beholding and believing this. And not only believing that in, in and of himself, God is happy. And I don't, I don't mean that flippantly, irreverently. I mean richly. Not only do we need to believe that God is in and of himself full of joy and happiness overflowing within the Godhead, but we need to believe that he desires 
to share that joy with you, with his creatures, with his people. When our kids were younger, we, uh, we went through, and I, and I give this uh, first catechism to to all parents, all first parents when they present their children for baptism. Our kids used to memorize the first catechism. We used to do it together at the dinner table. And maybe some of you kids did that. Maybe some of you remember uh, question and answer 22. In what condition did God make Adam and Eve? And he said it. He made them holy and happy. He made them holy and happy. God's heart and delight for you is the heart and delight that those of you who have parents have for your children, that they would be happy. That they would be full of joy. In Jeremiah 32, 41, the Lord declares concerning his people, I will rejoice in doing them good. The psalmist says to the Lord in Psalm 104, 14 and 15, you do all this to gladden the heart of man. Psalm 149, verse 4, for the Lord takes pleasure in his people. God takes pleasure in you. You and I were made to take pleasure in Him, to enjoy Him forever. That is our chief end. One of my favorite passages, Zephaniah 3.17, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by His love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Brothers and sisters, the Lord loves you. The Lord longs for your joy. And the gospel is the proof. The gospel is the proof of that love. Jesus came to earth and for the joy, we read it earlier, for the joy set before him, a joy that included those that the Father had given him. He endured the cross and was obedient to the point of death, even death on that cross. And so not only is Jesus' obedience your obedience, not only is Jesus' righteousness your righteousness, but Jesus' joy is now your joy. And so when he speaks to his people in John 15, when he speaks of being the vine in which the branches must abide, he says at the end of it all, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. And so as we think about joy, we first think about God, about who he is in and of himself, about what he has done for his people. And then we can begin to heed the words of the prophet Joel. In Joel chapter 2, verse 21, be happy and full of joy because of what the Lord has done. So that's the first point. This is the first point I want us to think about this morning. The second is this. Here comes the challenge. Amidst the sorrow, in light of your hope, 
put on joy. Amidst the sorrow, in light of your hope, put on joy. It is hard to have joy. Life is hard. And I don't want to minimize that. And the Bible isn't saying that we can change that. The fact of the matter is joy and sorrow will always coexist in this life. And so in, in, in 2 Corinthians, as Paul is commending the ministry of the apostles to the church at Corinth, he says this in 2 Corinthians 6.10, that they live sorrowful and yet always rejoicing. In our broken world, there will always be sorrow, but if our hearts can get to where they need to be, brothers and sisters, there can be joy. In the midst of that sorrow, there can be joy. I must confess, though, sometimes I, and I guess the internet is maybe one of the primary places I see this, one of the weaknesses, one of the downfalls of the internet. Sometimes I feel like we in the church, we don't really want to have joy. And what I mean by that is, is there's a modern epidemic that one writer calls, it's kind of a harsh term, but one writer calls outrage porn. Let me, let me read a quote to you that I read this week. He says, so many letters to the editor and comments on the internet have this. The tone of, of thrilled vindication. These are people who have been vigilantly on the lookout for something to be offended by. And they found it. But outrage is like a lot of other things that feel good, but over time they devour us from the inside out. Except that it's even more insidious than most vices because we don't even consciously acknowledge that it's a pleasure. We prefer to think of it as disagreeable, but fundamentally, but a fundamentally healthy reaction to negative stimuli like pain or nausea, rather than to admit it's a shameful kick that we eagerly indulge in again and again. It is outrage porn, selected specifically to pander to our impulse to judge and punish, to get us off on righteous indignation." seemed to me a striking quote in a week that I'm preparing a sermon on joy because I, I acknowledge there's plenty to be discouraged about. There is plenty in our world to be indignant about. And, and I'm not saying that we ought to be silent in all circumstances. But the Bible seems to say, the Bible seems to posit that while joy can't take away the pain, joy can overwhelm the pain. Joy can overwhelm the discouragement. And so first of all, I, th I think we just need to pay attention to our joy. Where, where is your joy meter? Where is it trending? Ask some questions. How do you respond in difficult situations? What is, what is the general countenance before those around you? And I'm not talking about empty emotionalism. I'm talking about that, that phrase from that definition, a deeply grounded, durable delight that can't, that can't help but bubble to the surface of our lives. 
of our conversation. And so as we think about being obedient to this command, we, we must believe that joy is grounded in God and his gospel. And we must believe that it's not only possible, but it's required. We are to be a people marked by joy. Paul is all over this. The kids are studying, or at least the older kids are studying Philippians. Philippians 3.1, rejoice in the Lord. Philippians 4.4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. He told the church at Rome, rejoice in hope. 1 Thessalonians 5.16, rejoice always. Paul is not writing these commands from some beach in Bermuda. He's writing them from prison. And Peter 2, 1 Peter 1, says to a suffering church, a suffering body, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. You see, joy is a conviction that I think turns into an affection. It's something that you believe that determines then how you feel. And that's how the Bible can command us to rejoice. So we've got to pay attention to our joy. But secondly, we've got to acknowledge that just like anything else in our growth and grace, in our sanctification, cultivating joy is a work of grace can't just flip a switch and turn on joy. You've got to cultivate joy and you've got help. You've got help from the God who wants you full of joy. David acknowledged the Lord's role in his own heart. Psalm 4, 7, he says to the Lord, you have put more joy in my heart. And then in that great prayer of repentance in Psalm 51, after he sins against the Lord, what does he say? Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Ultimately, joy is a work of God's Spirit, which is why it's included in the fruit of the Spirit. And so in the great church, Father Augustine said, Father, command what you will and grant what you command. That's our prayer. Command what you will, but grant what you command. And not only do we have his spirit, not only do we have the word, not only do we have our inner spirits and that peace that passes all understanding that the Holy Spirit gives us, but going back to last week's message about community, about life together, we have each other. And I can tell you this, I've learned so much from some of you about joy in the midst of sorrow as I have walked with you through the slog of life. As we've walked difficult roads together, roads that were primarily yours to walk, I have seen, I have heard, I have been encouraged by your joy amidst sorrow. It was a joy amidst sorrow that reminded me and reminds us of where all of our eyes need to be. Fixed on Jesus. Jesus, it, Jesus had every circumstantial reason in his life to be joyless. 
to despair. Deep relational fractures at being terribly misunderstood. Physical and emotional pain at the hands of the authorities. Spiritual strain and stress as he stared down death. And yet somehow, underlying all of that was joy. Not a surfacy happiness. Not a lack of acknowledgement in the hard realities of life. No, Jesus got it. He wept, and yet Jesus had a deep and durable delight of one who was secure in the Father's love, one who was walking in the Father's will, and one who delighted in doing so for the sake of the people that his Father had given him. Brothers and sisters, it's because of this that we are not hopeless, but hopeful. You see, as one pastor noted, the opposite of joylessness is not sadness. The opposite of joylessness is hopelessness. And as Paul said, we are not people who grieve as those without hope. Our hope is secured in the cross And the joy that flows from it overwhelms the pain. The confidence that we are the Lord's and that his joy is our strength calms the confusion of our lives. Jesus said as much to his disciples as they went through their own confusion concerning Jesus' impending death. In John 16, he tells them, when a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish. For joy that a human being has been born into the world, so also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. Jesus was talking to his disciples about their resurrection. He's going to see them again when he's raised. You know, the resurrection will prove everything. It will change everything about the sorrow that the disciples have felt and will feel in the future. And it has changed everything for us as well. Christ is risen. Death is defeated. And we might not understand all the reason for the sorrow and for the brokenness of our world, but we know this, that new life has come and has brought joy with it. And we need to believe that. Believe it and be set free. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for this reminder from your word of the joy that can be ours in the midst of so much hurt, in the midst of so much pain. Holy Spirit, take these words, plant them deep in us. And mold us and, and fashion us and, and use them as a, as a salve on woundedness, on pain. And may joy be ours by your grace for our good and for your glory. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.